You are listening to the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at lifepoint.cc. I want to dive into God's Word this morning. You can open your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 2. That's where we're going to start this morning. There's a series of messages that have been um, bringing my heart for over a year now. And I've just been journaling and writing and praying and wrestling and... Um, and I feel like the time is now to bring these before our church family. And so, so over these next few weeks, you're going to hear my heart. We are, we're going to talk about being worshipers, about worship, this central identity of being a Christ follower. You are a worshiper. Say that I'm a worshiper. Say I am a priest. That's, the, that's the, how the Lord sees you now through the finished work of Christ. The great high priest went before us. And he's now commissioning a whole army of priests to the Lord, of worshipers. That's you, that's me. And I want us to understand what it means to worship. And I believe biblically there is this robust um, spectrum of vivid imagery and illustration within scripture that's going to equip us as, as a church family to be worshipers. And so um, I think when it comes to our spiritual life, there are some of us who are like uberly pragmatic, so practical, so hands-on that we start to disconnect when it comes to living our lives spiritually for the Lord. But in the Lord's realm, everything is spiritual. Like really, this life, the things that we do when we're washing the dishes, how we treat our spouse, how we are in the marketplace, um, how we do work, how we sing songs, how we pray. It's, it, there's not these strange compartments that we create. That's, that's our own human um, limitations that try to understand things in these compartments. But in the Lord, I want, I want to break down these compartments and equip us as, and activate us as a church to be the worshipers that God has destined us to be. And so one of these primary illustrations that we're going to dive into throughout this series is worship as building a house for the Lord. We're going to see this throughout scripture. We're going to see it here in 1 Peter and 1 Corinthians this morning, but we're going, to, we're going to use that illustration over the next number of weeks. When we worship, we are building the Lord a house, a place for him to come and dwell. That is the Lord's grand destiny for humanity, for us to be with him, for he to be with us. That is the Lord's plan from the very beginning. It was for him to commune with us. Um, and so I'm going to, I'm going to blow, blow your mind in terms of your, your small definition of worship. Most of the time when we say the word worship, we're thinking that 30 to 45 minutes, if it's really amazing, an hour of worship on a Sunday morning that I experience. Um, but worship is more than that. Worship is our lives lived for the Lord. And it includes music and worship. We're going to talk about that as well. It has to include that. Um, corporate expression. There has to be an expression of that, I believe, is, is for us to really live in what God has called us to, but it's more than that as well. And so um, this is for everybody, not just the, the musical people. It's for you, but it's for the non-musical people. Uh, can I get an amen to, from the non-musical people? Yes, great. Okay, we're going to look at... Um, First Peter chapter two, I should turn there myself. Bryce, this is a different order than I had in there. So first, we're gonna start in first Peter chapter two. My son is uh, running the slides this morning, so 
Can you guys give it up for Bryce? I love this guy. He's awesome. Super proud of him. So I'll, here's just a little dad moment. Dad, dad pride. My son yesterday just went off in his last basketball game. He scored the last eight points. They were down by seven points. He scored the last eight points. But no, 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 wait, wait, wait. Uh, the reason I share it is because the, the, the go-ahead basket, they were down by one with eight seconds. Bryce had the ball out of bounds and the defender turned his back to Bryce. So he had the wherewithal to pass it off the kid's back to himself. And he throws the ball in the basket for the go-ahead basket. It was awesome. And everyone was just like, you know, the, the ref who was gray-haired, he said, I'd never seen that before, so. Um, so super proud of him. Uh, has nothing to do with our life in church other than I love my son, so. First um, Peter chapter two. Let's start in verse four. We'll start by praying just over this time in the Lord's word. Lord, we thank you for your word. Pray that it would be living to us by your spirit this morning. Not just words, but the word, capital W, because of the spirit that brings it to life and brings our spirits to life to receive it. God, lift the veil from our eyes to see you more clearly. Lift the veil from our eyes to see who we were created to be in you. Pray that upon every single person. Lord, I don't care what um, stumbling blocks or um, blockades that people feel like they have between themselves and you this morning. I tear those things down in the name of Jesus. May the veil be lifted that we all see you more clearly this morning in your mighty name, amen. Okay, verse four, it says this, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, that's Christ himself, this living stone, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, we're like the Lord. He created us to bear his image. You are being built up as a spiritual house. So this is one of the, the primary illustrations for our very essence with the Lord, is being built up to be a house. And we'll see this is not just in isolation to this passage, but this is a theme throughout scripture to be a holy priesthood. So we're the house that the Lord is uh, commissioning to host him, to allow him to come and inhabit. We're also the ones that serve in that house. We, we cultivate this atmosphere that the Lord is drawn to, that he is attracted to. So we're, we're priests to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ, for it stands in scripture. Behold, I'm, this is in Isaiah, I'm, I'm laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So we, in the future weeks, we will talk about the foundation of this house, which is Christ himself. The house that we're building through worship, through our lives of worship, it's built on the cornerstone, the foundation, Christ. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the, score, the cornerstone. So there are many that are going to reject this, this view of things. Um, as, as humanity's history has shown and in, in our current generation shows as well. In verse 8, and a, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. Verse 9, but you are a chosen race. All the, the bloodlines that we divide by are broken down in Christ and now we are 
grafted in to one race, the bloodline of Jesus, praise God. A royal priesthood, there it is again. We're priests to the Lord, royal priests, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Praise God. Let's look at 1 Corinthians. We'll see. Now Paul, that was Peter. Now we'll see Paul use the same analogy. We're not going to read all of this passage, but I just want you to begin to, I just want your curiosity to begin to be sparked of this narrative, this thread that's built throughout Scripture that the Lord uses continually throughout his um, God-breathed revelation to us of what things are really like. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16, it says this, Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. And what we, what we lose in the translation from the Greek to the English is the plural behind what he is saying. He's saying, you all are God's temple. Together, we're a spiritual house for the Lord. Think of the, the commission to David to make a house for the Lord, or then to his son Solomon, to build this house for the Lord's presence to come and dwell with Israel. That commission is now to us in this new covenant age. Because of the work of Christ, we are commissioned to build in community, in real community, through our own individual lives, but knit together with other hearts, really, a community where the Lord comes and dwells, to build a house, to be a temple. So, you know, Paul is, is worked up here in First Corinthians. We won't get into all of First Corinthians 3 here, but he's worked up because the house is divided here. The, the church is pitted, pitted against each other because of pride and ego and infighting and all sorts of issues in Corinth. But, and so he is... He's jealous for them to step into their identity as worshipers, primarily worshipers that are, that could be described as a temple to the Lord. This is what I want us to talk about. Um, one more passage, John chapter four. John chapter four as worshipers. Um, my aim over the next number of weeks is to activate more and more people to see their life live, not just Sunday mornings, but Monday through Saturday, through this lens of worship. And it's such a beautiful thing when things begin to get orientated more towards the Lord, less towards ourselves and more towards the Lord. Uh, there's such a freedom there, such a joy, that's the Lord's will for your life, as we live lives not for ourselves, but for the Lord. And worship is that conduit. It's beautiful, I hope you're getting excited, because uh, I'm excited. Um, when me and my wife, we, this is just kind of an illustration of the picture that the Lord, I think, is, is giving us. Um, when me and my wife bought the house we currently in, we, we built it, or we, we, we did not build it. We bought it, and it was built in the late 70s, early 80s. And it's, it's a one-of-a-kind house, which I've always kind of been uh, intrigued by, those houses that are, they're one-of-a-kind. You know, this was a house that was built by an architect uh, from Iowa State. 
And uh, he actually left pictures of himself building the house. So he designed it and he built it himself. But the house, that means since he built it himself, and it's one of a kind, it's got its quirks. And it feels like any time we, we open up a wall or uh, tear something down or remodel something, we find something new, and it is exciting. Um, some stuff we still don't know why it's there, what it's doing there, what the thought process was, but I'm sure he had a plan. Um, there's one instance where we were ta- taking out a concrete wall, and we took out, and JF was there, so he was part of the... Actually, I think Jamie Massey was there, too. I saw Jamie in the back. I see you, man. <laughs> Taking out a, a concrete cylinder block. And we assumed it was one concrete wall. But after we took out the concrete block, gravel started to fill our basement. And we found out it wasn't one concrete wall. It was two concrete walls. And it was filled with gravel all the way up 25 feet in the air. So it uh, created this huge mess in our basement. And uh, that's the reality of living in such a unique house. The Lord is building a unique house. With you and I, this beautiful tapestry with all of its quirks and its uh, intricacies and you know, peculiarities, like the Lord is knitting our, our hearts together in a way beyond what you could fathom, beyond what you could have come up with to build a place where he himself dwells. And um, that's the imagery that the Lord's over the next number of weeks, we're going to talk about a lot of really amazing stuff, how we approach this house through the courts of thanksgiving, how the Lord obviously is the foundation. You know, the light of the house is the lamp of the body, which is the eye. So what we look at and what we give our attention and our affection to affects everything in terms of worship. You know, at the center of this house, the Lord has built a table. It's the Lord's table. It's this beautiful place of worship, both fellowship with the Lord and fellowship with each other. At the center of a home is always family, right? So we're going to talk about spiritual family, being family, the family room in the, fam- in the house of God. And lastly, we're going to talk about mission, which is the garden. The garden is the mission of God. He says if we abide in him, he abides in us, we will bear much fruit as a promise. So being a place that the Lord dwells and the Lord is attracted to is not disconnected from being fruitful in the world and being uh, effective for the glory of God in our, in our world. It's all connected and all works together. It's the beautiful story of the Lord. So John chapter four, this will be the last passage of scripture that I just want to point us to, then I will get after it. You're all getting worried that this is going to be an hour-long message. Um, I can tell when people are getting worried in the room. So verse 23, it says, but the hour is coming and now is here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. That should just burn a hole in your heart. The Father's eyes, he's seeking for these worshipers to worship him. That's what he desires of you. You want to know what the Lord's will is for your life? Be a worshiper. For these people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. This is in the context of Jesus himself. These are letters and read Jesus himself talking to this Samaritan woman. So this is not a socially acceptable moment for Jesus, but he boldly steps into it for the sake of his glory and the glory of the kingdom. He talks to a woman and a Samaritan woman at that about our divine destiny. 
The Lord's will for us is to be worshipers. So he breaks down those, those barriers. And he was speaking in the context of, of a woman who was like entrenched in the, the cultural understandings of what worship was. There was this great division between the, the Jews and the Samaritans about really where the true temple should be. Should it be in Jerusalem or should it be at this mountain, Mount Gerizim, the, the mountain that they said was Mount Moriah where Abraham sacrificed Isaac? Obviously it's not. The Samaritans are not right. The Jews were right. But that's how they, they broke down. And so the, this woman was thinking in terms of that. Where I worship, the locale, the location of, of where I worship and, and the particularities of, of those houses of God. Jesus is giving us, he's cracking the door open to this new house of God. Of these ones who are gonna worship in spirit and truth. Beyond these, those divides, culturally and ethnically, um, the, Lord, the Lord is going to do a new work. And we're part of that. This was a prophetic word that Jesus was saying. is here and now and is in the day to come, these worshipers. So what was Jesus describing here in terms of these worshipers to the Lord? Um, that's, that's what I want to break down for us this morning. You can think of worship as building a house. When we worship, we're building a house for the Lord to dwell in, for the Lord to live in. And as we look at scripture from beginning to end, Hebrew and Greek, I've found that there are really three different usages of, the, of, of uh, these Hebrew and Greek words that are translated to our one word, worship. And I wanna break that down this morning. Um, so the first is this, to, to prostrate or bow down before a superior. That's like the, the first, and I would say actually the, uh, it is, I wouldn't just actually say it, it is, uh, factually, the most common way to use the word that we translate uh, to the word English is to bow down and prostrate oneself before a superior. So, numero uno, number one, in term, I'm thinking of that because we have a translator this morning for, uh, into Spanish. So, numero one, numero uno, is uh, to prostrate oneself down before the Lord, to acknowledge that he is God and we are not. He is Lord, we are not. He is master, he is Lord of all, and I am not. And actually quite literally, quite explicitly, more often than not, that is to actually bow down before that, that one, before the Lord. And actually the, the first instance of the word worship, and that one specifically, that Hebrew word that we translate to worship is in Genesis 22, when Abraham is going to Mount Moriah to sacrifice his son Isaac to the Lord. He says, he says to his servant, you stay back here, I'm gonna go worship to the Lord. There's this act of worship, of going and positioning himself before the Lord, acknowledge that he is God. You know, his, you know Abraham was, his mind was reeling at that point, trying to understand what was going on, how God was working, and the heart cry of him sincerely was, he is God and I am not. He is superior. His plan is going to rule the day, not my plan. That's the first usage. The second is this, to minister. So to worship is to minister to the Lord. We talk about that and I'll talk about that more this morning. We talk a lot about it at House of Prayer because we see it scripturally as like one of the primary um, purposes for building a house of prayer is to minister to the Lord. Why do we minister to the Lord? Because he's worthy of it. 
just because he's God and he's revealed himself to finite beings, he's worthy of it. He's worthy of our praise. So he's worthy to be ministered to. And the third usage is to serve. It's to serve the Lord. So I told you I was going to be practical. All of these are practical, but this last one is very practical. But at the end of the day, it all comes down to our heart position being rightly positioned before the Lord. Because we're not talking about some sort of dead works. We're talking about truly serving unto the Lord. And that's the way that, that word is oriented. So we'll talk about that this morning. So let's talk about that first usage first. The first usage was to position oneself before a superior, to acknowledge the Lord's position over us, that he is the head of the church. He's the head over us. This is his house that we're building, right? And so often people are hurt by the church because we, we're building these things for our own agendas and our own purposes, and building these kingdoms unto ourselves. But the Lord's purpose for the church is for us to build his house. Self-sacrificing, selfless, God-oriented dwelling place. That's the Lord's will. It's his house. This is something that we, we help each other do. We, we spur each other on to look at the Lord. That's one of the gifts of community is when we remind each other of truth, amen? This is the Lord's house. There's oftentimes where me and my wife will, will have people uh, house sit. It's more often when we have a dog because there's really not much to watch in a house, right? I mean, it's like house sitting is kind of a, unless you got lots of plants to, to water or something, but, um, but you have somebody house sit. Just imagine if one of these house sitters started to kind of take um, a little bit, uh, some liberties upon themselves to maybe move the furniture, rearrange a little bit. Maybe they started putting their feet up on the table. And, um, so I'm not around, so I guess I don't know about it. But they start rearranging things. Maybe we have a family portrait on the wall. Maybe they take the family portrait off and they put up their own, you know, own painting or their own picture of their own family. Um, you know, maybe they start moving in some new stuff. They just kind of start making themselves a little too comfortable. Imagine like this goes on. Maybe we're gone for an extended period of time and eventually they actually change the locks on the door. Like they've, they've gotten that messed up in their minds that they're like, they actually changed the locks on the door. And Tanya and I, we, we come back from our long trip and we come up to the door and it's, it's locked. I know how to get in the back. So, you know, you know, you're in the quirks of your own house and I know how to get in my house. I get in my own house and I find that my house has been rearranged and the inside of the house doesn't look like my house at all. At the end of the day, you know whose name is on the deed of the house? It's my name. So it doesn't matter who's rearranged what, how comfortable they've made themselves. It doesn't matter if they've changed the locks in the door. The house belongs to me. The Lord has said that about his church. It doesn't matter how comfortable, how deranged we've gotten in our minds and these kingdoms that we've built for ourselves and how distant we've grown from hosting the Lord and him being preeminent and central and welcomed as the all in all. At the end of the day, this is the Lord's house. 
and again, I'm not, I'm, talking, I'm not talking about a building. I'm talking about us. This is the Lord's house. These things are sacred. The gathering of God's people together is a sacred thing of which he paid for with his own blood. He paid for the deed of this house, us together, gathering under his name with his own blood. And, and worship is this constant acknowledgement that he is the all in all, that he is the head of the church. So the, I told you this, this usage, specifically the Hebrew word that we translate to worship, is most often denoting bowing down. So I've made it a practice of my life to on a daily basis find myself on my knees before the Lord, rightly positioned before him. That's where I just feel most aligned with reality. I start to get ahead of God. I start to get full of myself. I get on my knees and I, I quickly remember he is the Lord and I am not. He is God and I am not. We help each other do that as well. That's why community is so needed. We spur each other. We, if, if it's a close friend, you, you humble them sometimes, right? You speak truth and love to each other. We point each other to the Lord. That's why we find ourselves on our knees together, rightly looking at the Lord. I've needed that throughout my life. I have my dear friend Inya Lenanya, he's one of our elders. Time and time again, I go, I go to lunch with him or something and I, and I find myself rightly aligned with the truth that he is God and I am not. The Lord is God and I am not. He'll say, Drew, this is, not, this is not a crisis. This is an opportunity from God. And I should have him say it in his deep Nigerian voice. He'll remind me. Oh yeah, the, this is the Lord's thing. And that's what friends do. They, they, rightly, acknowledge, they right, rightly help you acknowledge this truth that God is superior. He is the head over all. And, and that's where you actually live in this this thing that Jesus said that our, our yoke is, his yoke is easy and, and his burden is light. You realize, ah, oh, this is his thing. This whole thing called Christianity, it's his thing. That's why we also do this a lot in song. This is not, a, this is not our invention to use song and to use music to rightly acknowledge just the way things are. But it's powerful, isn't it? Regardless of how musical you are, there's something in the human soul that comes alive, especially in community, when all our voices are simply singing, I exalt thee. Lord, we exalt you. That truth begins to just ripple through this place with a freedom that sets us free from the worries and the stress and division or offenses that we have. The Lord is exalted. And our, our, all of a sudden, our, we're whisked away to those eternal realities. So that's what worship does. It acknowledges the Lord's position over us. Second, what did I say? I said worship is ministering to the Lord. This is the, the imagery of being priests to the Lord. That, that's what Peter described us as, right? Royal, a royal priesthood. We're a kingdom of priests. That's part of our identity. I'm a priest. You're a priest. Right? Because of the great high priest that made a way. Say it again. I'm a priest. priest. You're a priest to the Lord. And what do priests do? Priests represent God to man, 
That's definitely part of our missional. We're supposed to look like Christ in this world and they're supposed to see something different in us. But priests also serve man to God. They, they minister to the Lord. They, they, they bring to God what he is worthy of. So if others aren't gonna worship, like the world obviously is not gonna worship the Lord. If we're bringing worship to the Lord that he's worthy of, even on behalf of, of a creation that has despised him and rebelled against him, we're bringing that worship to the Lord. So if we use that imagery, that's scriptural because Peter is quoting or he's describing worship through this lens of being priests. What did priests, how did priests worship the Lord? How did they minister to the Lord? Well, they did it through sacrifices, right? That was the Genesis 22 example of Abraham gonna sacrifice his son to the Lord out of obedience. It's also offerings. How do those things translate now through the cross? We obviously don't have the sacrificial system because of the, the one sacrifice, once and for all, Jesus Christ. So what are these sacrifices that we bring? I think it's really interesting that in modern Judaism, there is no sacrificial system. If you, if you followed, you know, they're not, uh, there's no animal sacrifices currently in modern Judaism. It's really fascinating to me that in modern Judaism, what they equate to sacrifices is fasting. That's, what, that's, what, that's how they view now, you know, the rabbis have taken their liberties to, to translate things that way. I think it's the Lord's divine providence that he would not allow this um, thing that's been fulfilled already in the, the sufficient lamb of God to continue on. And he's reoriented them towards fasting, which is biblical and which is part of still our life together in community is fasting to the Lord. So we think of sacrifices, fasting is one of those things. Fasting is, is how we sacrifice to the Lord and his greater purposes, recognizing that we are finite, we're limited, and the Lord is all sufficient. He is our supply. He is our daily bread. He is our daily manna. He is our living water. He's our all in all. And we do that when we fast. You know, we also said that um, the priests, they worship, they minister to the Lord through offerings. All sorts of offerings in the Old Testament. You can go study them for yourself. But um, I do believe they, they bring a beautiful picture of what happens in prayer. And it's actually really fascinating. In the book of Revelation, this picture is given of what prayer is. It's this picture of incense filling this bowl in, in the heavenly places. So just go there with me. That's the imagery in the book of Revelation. It says the prayers of the saints is, is like this bowl of incense in the heavenly places. So here's this picture of the priests in the old covenant bringing these offerings of incense to the Lord. Well, in the new covenant age now, we're still bringing these offerings to the Lord. It's called prayer. It's called being with the Lord, hearing from him, contending and interceding. And we're filling up these bowls in the heavenly places beyond what we see. That's why there's so much mystery in prayer. That's where the breakthroughs come. So we minister to the Lord in these ways, very concretely, through fasting, through worshipful song and through prayer. That's why I, am, I continue to say that that's all of our role. It's all of our role to be a part of this house of prayer. And by that, I don't just mean our, the few hours we offer house of prayer during the week. I'm saying as we collectively contend for this to look more and more 
like Jesus intended it to look, like a house of prayer. That's all of us. All of us are called to, to bring prayers of offerings to the Lord, to bring sacrifices of fasting to the Lord. Jesus said that you know, after he leaves, his church will fast. He's, he said that about us, that we would be a people that are so surrendered, so abandoned to his purposes that we would actually set aside food for a while to contend for his purposes. So that's upon all of us. We're all called to be ministers because we're all priests to the Lord and that's how we worship. I remember during the week of prayer this year, there was a really interesting question that arose during one of our um, nights, I believe it was Wednesday night, as we were wrapping up the night, we were all gathered up here at the front and there was this question that arose uh, as we were seeking the Lord. And it was this question, what, what would happen if we began to ask the question, what is pleasing to the Lord? That was the question, what is pleasing to the Lord? What would it look like if we began to live our lives like that? As ones who minister to the Lord, who worship him, and in our daily coming and our going, we say, is this pleasing to the Lord? What's pleasing to you? That's the picture of worship, as we, as we are ones who minister to the Lord. Okay, the third, the third usage of that, that word worship, that's translated worship, is to serve him. So we serve him. So we acknowledge his position over our lives, we minister to the Lord, and thirdly, we serve him. The picture uh, throughout scripture is, and this is the priestly language, is to tend and to keep, to cultivate and to guard. It's to like work the ground. That's the imagery in the garden, and that's the same language described of the priests as the priests are, are um, commissioned. It's to tend and keep to the presence of the Lord, to serve the Lord's purposes and ultimately to do whatever you do as unto the Lord, to tend and keep. It's not just in the services, like church services. It's not just in the officially sanctioned programs, but it's in our life. I think it's fascinating that the Lord positioned us initially in a garden. Something so just like earthy and organic as that. And he called us to tend and keep it. And so it is for our life now in his presence. It's, it's a Monday through Saturday thing, not just a Sunday thing. We tend and we keep to it. We, 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 we allow our lives to be worship by being attentive to him in our coming and our going. That was the testimony of Brother Lawrence. If you ever get an opportunity to, to look up Brother Lawrence and just read a little bit about, about his life. He was rather uneducated and wasn't allowed to teach or preach. But it's fascinating that out of his sect of monks, we talk about Brother Lawrence more than the others, more than the other ones who talked a lot. Brother Lawrence was one who served the Lord in the kitchen. And he felt like he was closer to the Lord washing the dishes than he was in the chapel. Because he so attended and kept to that idea of serving the Lord. It's beautiful. I remember once when uh, a college student who I, I greatly respected, just their, their zeal and their love for the Lord and the transformation the Lord had done in, in their life, she said, you know, Drew, I feel like if Jesus was here physically, he wouldn't be up in the auditorium, he'd be down with the kids. That always challenged me to rightly orient our, our hearts towards the Lord's way of seeing things. And we serve the Lord and we, we, whatever we do, we're doing it as unto the Lord, whether it's serving kids or, 
opening up a door, or whether it's here in a, in a beautiful gathering like this, we, do, we serve the Lord. I'm gonna invite Sam forward to the keys. There's kind of a sobering reality about a, this idea of the Lord's purposes for us being to build him a house. And um, what's sobering about it is if the house remains empty. If we build the Lord a house and it's not the right house, it's not the thing that actually attracts him. There's a question that was posed to me a couple years ago and it was, you know, what if the church began to think more about attracting God rather than attracting people? The church in the West has gone so overboard because of consumer Christianity that we've we've put so much attention into this attractional model of church that's so hyper-obsessed and honestly um, idolizes that that model that that we, we were so focused on attracting people, attract, attracting people. And it's really to our own demise because the Lord already set up in his economy of things, in his, his system of things in the kingdom, he already, he already set it up for it to be attractive, for the kingdom to be attractive. You notice that Jesus never had a hard time drawing crowds, but it wasn't because he had some P, amazing PR or some marketing agent. The kingdom of God is, is attractive. It draws. It's because Jesus himself is there. And so if the, if the church, as so we're, so we're building a house for the Lord to dwell, we want to be thinking about what is attractive to the Lord, what pleases the Lord, what are his priorities? The greatest indictment upon us would be as if the house remained empty. If you think about a house, could you all stand in this place? If you think about a house, a house is meant to be lived in. Have you ever walked into a house that sat dormant for months and months and months? I remember my wife was telling me about um, visiting New Orleans, Louisiana after Hurricane Katrina. So a decade ago, um, they went down there to serve after Hurricane Katrina and they'd go into these houses that had sat dormant after the hurricane for months and months and months and months. And so the stench and the smell of stagnant air, of literally things just left there as they were, it's sobering and it's not the way it should be. The way it should be is for a house to be alive with life to be vibrantly alive for it to be filled that's the Lord's intention for us as we build him a house that obviously he would come and fill it the Lord himself would come and dwell in our midst the world will be drawn to that the lost will come and be saved for sure that's the Lord's purposes I want to pray a prayer commissioning upon us that these coming weeks as the Lord gives us this biblical vivid imagery of his purposes for us that we'd be fully surrendered that he pour out his grace upon us for us to be surrendered to his ways, for us to get out of the way, for us to, for our minds just to be reoriented, recalibrated. Can I do that? Lord, we thank you for your purposes in any ways in which we have inserted our purposes above yours. Lord, we repent. We turn from it. We want your agenda and your agendas for this tribe of worshipers to build you a house where you come and dwell. 
glorified. As we sang earlier, you are seen as beautiful. You are seen rightly. I believe your testimony in this world is meant to be seen through a people, worshipers. So God, I pray in these coming days, these coming weeks, in this season that you'd speak to us as a church family. Recalibrate our thinking. May your word be truly be our guide. Let it be. We want to worship in spirit and truth. This has been the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at lifepoint.cc.